Hey, this is Don Felder. I'm looking forward to playing for you guys from Warrendale on February 7th, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks with John Caddick. All right, Pittsburgh! You are the best! You got the best! Hello and welcome to episode 431 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 431, we have the pleasure of being joined by a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, his former member of the Eagles, uh, Don Felder, who has been with uh, who had been with the band for 27 years. They have the distinction of being the highest selling album of all time. Their greatest hits, 71 to 75, has sold 38 million copies. Uh, Don has been involved with writing some of their biggest hits. Uh, he then moved on to a solo career, and he has got an incredibly cool new album out. Well, not new in the sense of brand new. It came out in April of 2019. It's called American Rock and Roll. He's going to be doing a show in Warrendale at Jurgles on the 7th of February. So I invite all of you to go check that out. You can find links to the show and tickets and information on our website. Uh, but Don, a really cool guy to talk to, um, and, and you can tell really when you listen to his album American Rock and Roll as I, as I say in the interview uh, it's a bunch of friends making the album he, he got a lot of outside uh, contributors to this album Joe Satriani uh, Sammy Hagar Slash uh, the list kind of goes on uh, and you can tell when you listen to it that they're having a good time making the record uh, which is awesome to hear you know a lot of artists you know in in kind of post their seminal work sometimes the albums start to sound like they're a little bit forced uh but there's no such feeling on this album whatsoever american rock and roll uh sounds like uh you know a, a guy who's really enjoying what he's doing so we're going to play you a little taste of that album this song's called rock you and then we're going to get into that interview with don felder Just can't let this trouble world get us down. 
ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Don Felder. How are you doing, Don? I'm doing fantastic. It's an absolutely beautiful Southern California day here. The sun's out. It's going to be somewhere in the high 60s, low 70s, just enough to have a little bit of a crisp, cool uh, winter feel about it, but yet beautifully sunny. Yeah, see, then you're just making us envious here. We're in Pittsburgh, and, and it's January, and, and I don't think I need to tell you <laughs> what it's going to be like on a January day. Uh, you're going to yeah. be rolling in to do a show, uh, actually beginning of February, uh, in mm-hmm. uh, Warrendale, which is just north of Pittsburgh, on the 7th at Jurgles. Um, you have got a, a phenomenal album out. It's not new anymore, I know, especially being the recorded, mastered, etc. This is well over a year old at this point for you, but um, still in... The today's record industry, a relatively new album with American rock and roll, and uh, I, I want to say, and maybe it's just my impression of listening to it, but you sound so happy on this album, which is you know something I listen to, and it sounds like there's a lot of uh, still a lot of fun in in your life and in your lyrics. Is that a fair estimate estimate on where you're at? Well, you know, any time I'm writing or recording or actually playing music, it brings me the greatest amount of joy Mm -hmm. in my life. Uh, It's been the one thing that's always put love and and fun and joy in my heart and a smile on my face, irregardless if I'm playing in some bar in high school or playing a fraternity party or somewhere playing for 120,000 people at the Wembley Stadium or mm-hmm. playing at a performing arts center like we're going to be doing at uh, Warrendale on uh, February 7th. I love to play music. I don't ever have to make another dollar in my life uh, to, to live and be happy, so I'm doing the things that I love to do. Uh, I love to go in the studio, turn on the studio when it's totally dark, no music, no idea whatsoever. If I push play at the end of the day and it sounds really great, I get excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you go in with ideas that just kind of fall flat. I have this wonderful place that I put those. It's called Digital Heaven, basically the erase head. <laughs> yeah. They go away. But I, I love playing live. I love writing and creating a studio. I'll sit on a plane flying cross-country with my laptop, writing lyrics to a song that has no music, no idea, but more like the concept of a lyrical idea like American rock and roll. I Mm. had that idea because I attended Woodstock and remembered seeing all of those amazing artists there, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Jimi Hendrix, Carlos Santana, all the people that were there that so inspired me. And um, thankfully I got to be part of an event that probably will never be eclipsed anywhere in the near future by having over 400,000 people attend that event over the weekend. And there was no, you know, social media, there was no radio advertisement, it was just all word of mouth, and so many people wanted to come to that event that I think they just overran the place with people, and obviously they didn't have enough food and water and sanitary facilities, but they all came for the music, and there was a thrilling, unbelievable vibe or spirit that was there at that time in the late 60s, early 70s in music that really just inspired me, uh, fired forward in life and do that, be part of that, create that. So that's why I look so happy and sound so happy and the lyrics come out so happy as well. Yeah, and it, it really does. I mean, it's it's fun when you listen to an album like that, you know, you know, it's you never know when when you put, you know drop the needle on on, a, on an album 
from an artist what direction it's going to take and I think that's one of the really exciting things about music you know you could you could have gone in a totally different direction but when you hear something that sounds so genuine you know when you listen to it and especially you know like I said the music the, the lyrical content it really is fun to listen to because I can tell you're having fun um, now you've got a, a a who's who of rock and roll joining you on this album in you know different appearances and solos etc was this something that you kind of wrote the song and then decided who might you know do a solo or, or play a part or how did how did the kind of selection process for the, you know these so many of these greats come about well i didn't set out to try to write and produce an all-star record per se but I've played and I know every one of the people that are on this record. I play with them. I know how they sound. I know how Mick Fleetwood drums sound and feel. And I know how Chad Smith feels. And I know how Alec Lifeson from from the Rush feels and Frampton and all these people that I've played with and, and know. So when I was working on these songs, I kept hearing certain people playing with me on it. And so mm-hmm. I think the first thing we did was we had uh, Joe Satriani uh, play guitar with me on one song called Rock You. Right. And Sammy Hagar sang a duet with me where we traded off vocals because I wanted to have another really strong like rock voice. And I was thinking, well, who can I get to sing a duet? Not a girl, but a guy. And Sammy popped into my head. And we've done a lot of charity events together and hung out down in Cabo Wabo and mm-hmm. up at his studio in uh, San Francisco and just so I called him up I said hey I got this song I'd love to have you sing it with me and sure come on up so I flew up there literally 45 minutes uh, in the studio with him and I singing it was done uh, Satriani came in right after that and uh, he and I set up a couple of guitar amps and went at it toe to toe and had a ball just exciting time playing against Joe Satriani Bob Weir came walking down the hallway looking for a cup of coffee because he has a studio a few blocks away and came in and heard some jokes I said hey while you're here why don't you sing background on this with us we got everybody that played and sang on that record to sing rock you so it should sound like you know a hundred thousand people singing Mm -hmm. it so Bob went out and sang on it and a lot of times these things just kind of came together organically uh, I went out and did a bunch of shows with Peter Frampton's Guitar Circus, and Peter plays the Les Paul through a Leslie, which is like a rotating organ speaker, and when he does that, it just sounds almost angelic or ethereal in a way. And when I wrote that one song called The Way Things Have to Be, I wrote it on piano. I, did, I wasn't playing guitar on it, and so... I kept hearing Peter's Leslie guitar sound on it, so I called him up and said, hey, I've got this song I'd love to have you play on. And So I hopped on a plane and flew back to Nashville and went to a studio, and after 15 or 20 minutes of telling jokes and catching up, he had already had the Leslie set up, and we did it in like 30 minutes. And then I said, hey, you know, while, while I'm here, would you sing the harmony with me on the chorus of this song? And so... He's a great singer. He set up a vocal mic and sang uh, with the choruses on me. And so I hopped on the plane the next day and came back to L.A. So a lot of these things are just people I know I'm familiar with. I know how they sound and where they fit. Obviously, Slash would have been the wrong person to cast into that 
kind of ballad where Peter was the perfect musical mm-hmm. choice, I thought. But Slash is perfect on American rock and roll. It's right up his alley. So a lot of it was knowing these people, how they play, how they sound, and where they would best fit. You know, like Abe Laboreal is an absolutely incredible bass player that I used to do sessions with back in Boston in 68, 69, and 70, long before I ever moved to California. He was going to Berkeley College of Music at the time, and I was working in this recording studio uh, learning how to make records, playing sessions, engineering, producing, writing charts, the whole thing. And he would come in and play on uh, whatever session we were playing. And I said, you got to come play on everything we make in this studio. So he became our session bass player. And when we got around to play this, record this one song called Little Latin Lover, which I'm playing a nylon string guitar on, I originally played the bass part uh, on the track myself, which I'm a pretty good bass player. I wrote the bass part for... Uh, one of these nights in the bass part for Hotel California, and so I can kind of come mm-hmm. up with decent bass flicks. So I had played it, but it just didn't feel authentic. And I said, who can I get? I think I had like four or five different bass players come in and play on this record because I knew the ones that would fit bass or best, whether it was Nathan East or, or somebody else that was going to play on this particular track. And I said, you know who grew up in, in Mexico and knows this stuff better than anybody else. Boreal. So I called Abe up. He came in, big ear-to-ear grin, uh, and we spent 10 minutes catching up on his life and his son, who now plays, I think, with uh, uh, just about everybody in town. Abe Laboreal Jr. is a great drummer now. But Abe came in with his bass and literally three passes, uh, one to get level, one for him to perform normal stuff and I said dad throw some throw some fun stuff in there this time so the third take he just played some brilliant stuff and that was the take we used but it was really knowing intimately how these people play and what they sound like and what song they would be best um, chosen for which was the fun part of uh, having all these people over and playing with them yeah and, and there's something to be said for you know, like you said, um, kind of knowing who would fit these parts. You know, you you know the song. You you've got a sense for how you want the result to sound and, and who would make that happen. And that's that's not necessarily something everyone can do. You you know, you hear sometimes where people will kind of shoehorn, a, you know, particular musicians, guest stars into songs that doesn't always work. You know, so this was a, a testament to It's like to your Jim Keltner was the perfect choice. For a couple of songs, uh, "You're My World" and "To Be." Steve Gadd was the perfect person. I've made a bunch of records with Steve, with Barry Gibb producing, and some of the Bee Gees records themselves. And just he it is the perfect pocket for that really slow vocal ballad called "Sun." Uh, and not only choosing the right drummer uh, for the right song. But they're just fun to have these people come in and, uh, you know, people I haven't seen all the time because everybody's so busy out working on the road. A lot of times you kind of lose touch with people. So it's nice to be able to have some time to play together. And I mean play in a childish, fun uh, environment, not play in the serious, you know, intense, mm-hmm. every beat's got to be perfect. Because these guys, all everybody that played on this record 
was of such a competent level that it wasn't like trying to pull teeth to get somebody to play the right thing. Right. As a matter of fact, I sent some files up to Canada for Alex Lifeson to play on, and he called me back and said, well, what do you want me to play? I said, Alex. Many records, if not more, than I have. You just play where you feel and what you feel like playing, and I'm certain it'll be brilliant. You know, he wanted me to tell him what to play. It's like, no, I don't want that. I want you to put you on the record. So he played some acoustic guitar and the bridge and stuff, and then did this incredible solo on the end that I went in and edited so I could make some room for him and I to trade off and then play mm -hmm. harmony with him on the last line. It was just, it was just fantastic to have everybody step up and so quickly be able to just pull something out that was brilliant. You know, yeah. uh, whether it was 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes, it wasn't one of those things where you were struggling to get somebody to play. So everybody was just such a, at a professional competence level that it just flowed so so nicely. I loved it. It was a, a lot of fun, a great experience for me. Yeah, and that might transcend into what you know what I was speaking about, where it sounds like you know you're having so much fun with this record when you you know, get to have these experiences with people who you call friends um, making music. I mean, that's the essence of, I think, why everybody picked up a guitar was, you know, they wanted to jam with their buddies, and that's exactly what you're doing. That that You just hit the nail on the head. That's the perfect description of it, is jamming with my buddies. The previous record I made, which was called The Road to Forever, I played everything on it. Every mm -hmm. guitar part, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, slide guitar, uh, pedal steel guitar, just about everything, banjo and mandolin, a nylon string guitar. I played everything on it. And it, it's very perfect. You know, I was able to overdub and overdub and change this and fix this and edit that and da-da-da. But what it lacked was that just fiery, momentary, just of-the-moment playing mm -hmm. that comes out of people. And uh, that's exciting, and it's fun. It's got an energy to it. And that's yeah. really what I wanted to capture on this uh, this record was just that spontane spontaneous creativity that comes out when you put two great people in a room and go, well, let's make a record. Yeah. <laughs> and we go at it, and that's what you got, you know. Don, I've always wanted to ask you this question. You are, are you know, I think when you think of, of guitarists, and I'm sure you're like this with the people you grew up idolizing, you think of a particular guitarist with a particular guitar. You know, you think of Stevie Ray Vaughan with, you know, uh, Lenny or his, you know, number one guitar. When the world thinks of you, I think almost everyone thinks of the, you know, the double neck Gibson EDS. If you had to rewrite history, would you pick something maybe a little lighter to play at this stage of your career? <laughs> Well, that thing is like carrying two guitars, and I think uh, if I have anything to blame for my back issues, it's the fact that I've been lugging that double deck guitar around for over 40 years, and uh, yeah. it, it does get a little heavy, but the, the one thing is, the, the blessing is that it was the only way I could figure out how to play Hotel California Live. Mm -hmm. uh, I had played on the record uh, an acoustic 12-string guitar that I'd taped with gaffer's tape, a pickup in the O-hole, and run it out through a cable that went into a Leslie speaker. We were talking about using a Leslie before, mm -hmm. and it had been mic'd in stereo, left and right, and then they put a microphone directly on the front of the guitar, the O-hole, and recorded that acoustically and put it in the middle of the mix. So you have this kind of swirling uh, acoustic 12-string in the beginning of it. 
and then I had to play all the rhythm electric guitars and the mm-hmm. uh, the solo guitar that Walsh and I put together on the end and just a bunch of different stuff and I got on the sound stage when we were getting ready to to do the Hotel California tour and I said well how am I going to do this how am I going to play an acoustic 12 string and then pick up a Les Paul and play that there's just not enough time to to change guitars so I had the idea I'd seen Chet Atkins when I was 14 Chet had his guitar wired as a stereo guitar the low three strings on his guitar went out of one output Okay. It went into one amplifier on one side of the stage. And the top three strings, the melodic strings, went out of another output and went to another amp on the other side of the stage. So he could sit there and play a bass part, an accompanying bass part on the low three strings that would be coming out of one amplifier and then add the melody on the top of it with the top three strings that was coming out of another amplifier and it just First of all, stereo was new in those days, and, but secondly, the fact that he was able to do that would, just blew my mind. And so when I'm standing on stage trying to figure out how could I do these two guitar parts, I thought that if I got a double neck, 12-string, 6-string, and rewired it so the 12-string neck went out of one out, it did, throw the switch down to go down and play the six string it went out of a different output jack and went into another amp and there I've got it so we literally took a drill and drilled a hole in the top of this this double neck and I just sent a guy out to the music store I said go buy me a Gibson double neck i got to figure out how to make this work and he came back with a white one and I went why did you get a white one why didn't you get a black one or a red one the white's like so girly looking you know he said that's all they had so we drilled a hole in the top of it and wired it uh, up we needed to wire it up to make it work and I've been lugging that thing around ever since and thank God I was able to figure out how to do it or else I don't know how I'd have been able to play Hotel California live yeah it's it's uh, it's one of those things you, it's fun to listen to the stories of how you know like I said there's the iconic guitar with you know the iconic guitar players and that's one that um, you know I think you know when you see that guitar you know you think of either you or Jimmy Page really yeah and that's and that's high praise to be in that conversation um yeah so you know and, and you're the white one he's the red one it's that simple and, and yeah, apparently you're <laughs> well, the white one because that's all they in, had in the in the in the same league as is somebody like Paige. you know i try not to to think that of myself i just think i'm just one of the luckiest guys to you know been given the idea the musical content to write what i did for hotel california and in that band at that particular time um was just you know at the right place at the right time with the right inspiration the right music it was truly a magical combination of writing and singing and yeah and uh, just production and playing and the sound we made with those particular people in the same room and Bill Simzik re- recording it was just it was just a you know uh, something that just came together and somewhere else yeah it certainly did. Well, Don, I don't, I don't want to hold you up. I, they created all that. Don, I don't want to hold you up. I know you're a busy man. Again, you'll be in town on the 7th of February. Hopefully it's a somewhat warm for you. I know coming from California to the frozen northeast here, that's probably a rough time to be touring this area, but we hope it's a little warmer for you. 
and uh, really looking forward to seeing the set of gerbils on the on the seventh, man. Well, please come out, John, to the show and say hello, and I'd like to shake your hand and thank you for taking the time to do this for me. Absolutely, it'd be a pleasure.
That about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Big thank you to Dog and Felder uh, for coming on the show. Again, his album American Rock and Roll is out now. The show is at Jurgles on the 7th of February. You can still get tickets. Go to Jurgles' website or you can find the link on ironcityrocks.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat. We're Iron City Rocks on all of those. Or you can reach us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Let us know uh, the kinds of things you like on the show. Do you like some of the more classic rock stuff? Do you like the metal stuff? Do you like some of the, the deeper blues stuff? Let us know what you like. Um, you know, and it's all well on Facebook. Uh, interact. We'd love to hear from you guys. Read every comment. Uh, we get both good and bad. Uh, we'd love to hear it. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.